morning, everyone. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or wherever you are. We are happy to uh, to welcome you to chat with Sandy and Karen. I'm Karen Jackson, and my co-host is Sandy Banso. <laughs> and we welcome Sandy. Good to see you. Uh, we are we have a very special guest. We have uh, one of our own today, but well-esteemed and uh, he's much more experienced in podcasting than we are. So we are so excited to welcome Alfonso Mendoza. He uh, is going to talk about podcasting and who knows, we have, a, we have an agenda, but as you know, we write the agenda and then talk nothing about it. So uh, all the links will be included in the show notes. And uh, if you're watching live with us, then uh, feel free to, to chat or say, hey, or tell us where you're from. And uh, call your friends, tell them to, or text your friends, and tell them to uh, come on and ask us some questions. So, uh, welcome, Fonz. How are you doing today? Hi, everybody. Good morning. I am. I'm excited. I'm very caffeinated right now. I just uh, prepped some of my favorite favorite coffee, so I am ready to go. It's my brain juice. But again, thankful for you, ladies, and thankful for this invite to be here. As I was mentioning earlier, it's often that I, I don't get to be on the other side and getting asked the question. So I'm just really excited to be here and be part of your show. Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. Uh, so, um, Alfonso, oh, would you prefer Alfonso or Fonz? Uh, whichever you, oh, we could just go stay. Let's go with Fonz. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Fonz, tell us, how did you get into podcasting? Okay, well, that's a great question. This all happened April 10th of 2020. That's when the first episode aired. And it all started just because during that time, obviously, it was uh, everything had shut down. And so it was a time where everybody was doing PD, you know, virtual PD. And so I as I participated in some of the virtual PD became familiar with some of the platforms, then I said, you know, I can do this as you know, something maybe not necessarily geared into just demonstrating PD, but actually trying to find educators to just be one-on-one, -on -one, have those conversations, hear what is happening, you know, in their part of the world. Because I had educators from here in, in our local area in South Texas. And then, of course, that branched out to educators now globally. And so it all started with that intention of having people see things through a different lens as far as what was happening. And also to kind of let educators know that whatever it is that they're going through, whatever it is that they're feeling, they're seeing, they're hearing, that they're not alone in this. Because oftentimes, you know, as educators, we work in silos. And I think the what has happened now in us being more connected and becoming connected educators we're able to see that some of the same struggles that we may be going through are the same struggles that our colleagues, you know, across the world are going through and, and the same and just in a different setting. So I think that kind of provides a little bit of that reassurance that although sometimes we may feel like, oh, man, is, this is just me. Maybe I'm not doing things right. Maybe it, this is happening. You know, though, you can you can find somebody that you can relate to, whether it's locally in your area uh, statewide, nationally, but now even globally. So it now organically kind of morphed more into 
I just want to hear your stories. You know, I, 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 I think oftentimes it's like, I, I give PD a lot at, at work and, you know, work on trainings, but sometimes during that time, you don't have enough time to really get to know your audience, your teachers and so on and build that relationship. So with this now, it kind of morphed into, tell me your story. Mm-hmm. Tell us how you got into education because, you know, everybody got into education in a different way. Some, like myself, always vowed to never be in education, but <laughs> fell into it and <laughs> fell in love with it. And mm-hmm. now it's just share your story. Tell us what you're doing. Tell us your passion. What is your passion project? And it's been a wonderful experience for myself and getting to know wonderful educators that we oftentimes see on Twitter that are like, oh my goodness, they're they're just so, they're edu famous, they're, they're Twitter famous, they're this and that. And then when they come on the show, they are people just like you and I who've had to improvise, adapt and overcome throughout their career. And it's great that you can relate to them and you get to know them as a person. So again, I know that was a long answer, but it started off with with that, but now it's turned into just hearing people's stories. Brilliant. So what did you want to become then? If it wasn't a teacher, oh, what were your dreams? My dreams were to be rich and be rich quick. So actually, and so I I was actually following uh, Dr. Karen's footsteps now because congratulations on Dr. Karen who have has just uh, finished her master's in business administration. So cheers to you because I have a degree in uh, business administration. So what I did is I went into business because as a high school student, uh, growing up and kind of making the decision of, okay, what is it that I want to be when I grow up? I said, well, I would look at my teachers and I was like, I don't want to be a teacher. And at that time, a lot of friends were, yeah, I'm going to you know go into the college of education and mm-hmm. be a teacher and so on. I was like, why? It's like, why do you want to do that? I was like, don't you just want to go and make money and you know all of that? So that was my goal. My goal is I went in, you know, just blazing into the college setting, excited, taking my business courses. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to make it. I'm learning my accounting, my marketing and and all that good stuff. And as soon as I got out uh, and graduated, uh, well, actually, let me let me uh, go back just a little bit. That year that I'm graduating, one of my professors, it was the last class. I'll never forget him. His name's Dr. Thompson. And that was the last marketing course that I had. And this is what he said. And it really kind of, it, it still resonates to this day. He said, hey, all right, many of you are getting ready to graduate. He goes, I just got to tell you one thing. Once you get out of here and you graduate, I want you to know that everything that you learned in these four years is already obsolete. So anything that you Ooh. learned now, forget it. It's, it's done. It's over with. And I also want to let you know that that piece of paper and in this case, you know, I've got these goes that piece of paper. All it really means is that you're trainable. Mm. So that has always resonated with me in the fact that, OK, I, I get it. Uh, it. It really stuck with me and not in a bad way. It stuck with me and like, you know what? It means that you have a certain set of skills that in any situation you would be able to improvise, adapt and overcome. 
So graduated, got into business my, my, for about two years. I was working for a company and I learned, you know, money management. You know, I did the marketing. Customer service was huge. And that is the one thing that I am so excited and thankful for that I learned so much about customer service and knowing and meeting the needs of my customers in this particular company, which I won't mention names because I, you know, but uh, then all of a sudden life takes a pivot and, and, you know, life things happen. You know, at the time my dad was dealing with uh, just a, you know, a condition, serious condition. He's fine now. We overcame that and thank God, but it kind of, you know, made me change gears and said, okay, I need to find a job where I am more available to my parents in case of emergencies, in case, you know, they need my assistance, my help, because uh, being an only child, it's, it's all on me, you know? So I, I had to make that pivot. And a friend of mine calls me and says, hey, you know, there's this school, you know, district that they're hiring. And they're looking for math teachers and, you know, you have a lot of experience in math doing, you know, business calculus, you know, business algebra, your finance and everything. So I was like, okay. So picked up the phone, called the, the school, spoke to the assistant principal. And he said, yeah, come on in for an interview. Like right away. He's like, come in tomorrow. So I went in for an interview and the interview lasted about 10 minutes because, um, he ended up being a teacher at my former high school or actually the husband, well, the husband of a teacher at my former high school. He was the former baseball coach there. Went in, he knew who I was because I was taking, I had his wife for my BCIS class for my business course. And it was about 10 minutes. He said, come back tomorrow, fill out your paperwork. And that's it. I fell into teaching and I loved it. I loved it, not knowing anything about pedagogy, not knowing any, having any formal training, nothing. It was pretty much, we need a math teacher. And at that time, they're like, here are two binders. And in those binders are transparencies. They're like, here are your binders and go. And I'm like, okay. And at that time, we used the overhead projectors. So you know, at the end of the day, you come out with your hand all <laughs> with different colors. It's purple, it's red and everything. But, you know, it, 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 I always come back to what Dr. Thompson said. The paper that you have means that you are trainable. So, and also, of course, the skill set that I built in this company, mainly the customer service piece, is what I think has helped me be very successful and has allowed me the opportunities that I have had because it really, truly, honestly starts with relationships. It starts with knowing your customers. So I often joke with uh, other guests and say, you know, I was personalized. I was doing personalized learning before it even became a thing or a buzzword because back in 2006, that's what that's the way that I modeled my classroom. But because of the business skills that I learned. And then little by little, I met some amazing educators that I would go and observe and get to learn the way that they would engage the students in the lessons. 
And so it was a learning process. And I think that being an avid learner always and wanting to learn continually really helped me in that aspect too, that if I was stuck with something or maybe I, I didn't know how to explain something correctly or use the correct uh, pedagogical practice or anything like that, I would simply go and ask another teacher. I would go and observe another teacher. And then I always just put it in my little mixing bowl, mix it up, <laughs> personalize it to what worked for me and what would work for my, my students. And we had fun with it. And mm. it was great. So, yeah, that's the way I fell into teaching. And as you can tell, I, I have a passion for education. I love it. <laughs> you know, Fonz, you, you mentioned something about the connection between business and education. And I've always thought, as well as customer service, uh, like, like you mentioned, that um, program management is a part, is, is a skill that all teachers need but you don't call it program management. You know, you do in the business world, but uh, planning time or something like that is maybe what we, is an equivalent. But I just really, um, I, I, I would love to see more connection between the skills and the, uh, the things that you learn in business and the things that you learn as a teacher. And you know, um, or Karen, I'm sorry. Uh, we've had I've had that conversation with many educators and many colleagues, because one thing that I do notice here in in my area, in the Rio Grande Valley, is that there are a lot of business professionals that come into teaching, whether it's you know the business courses or some of them. There's some marketing courses, but some of them actually go into the classroom, and Again, this is just from my personal experience, but I have seen where the these teachers that come in from industry do a, a little better in, a, in, in many ways. In some ways, we, we may be lacking, like I told you, like I'm lacking a, a lot of that training and theory that you learned in the College of Education because I didn't go through that. But I have seen, you know, members, colleagues that come in from industry that outlast many that go through the, the, the standard college of education. And I, I don't know if that goes back to that customer service components of mm -hmm. really diving in and knowing your customers. And, and of course, there's other variables there, you know, but I agree with you. I, I think that there are some colleges that I, I have heard, and I'm going to have to look back at my notes, but they require uh, the teachers before they graduate, they have to take some form of business courses and whether, you know, but dealing with some kind of customer service um, and it does tie in. I honestly, I'm a firm believer that business and education do tie in. And as you notice now, even a lot of educators now that are becoming entrepreneurs and doing that, I think that maybe there might be a time to, kind of look at education a little different too, as well as, you know, having teachers go through maybe a marketing course or, you know, learning about customer service, but learning a little bit about business because that really does tie into the classroom. And so um, that's very interesting that you do bring that up. But I, like I said, all my success that I have had until now, you know, I really do attribute a lot of it to 
going through the College of Business and, and helping me in this transition. Yeah, I was going to say one of the experiences we do bring in our classroom, uh, they are our customers. Um, I don't know if you say it in the US, but it's certainly in uh, the UK. And I think maybe I've heard it around here as well in uh, Europe. Bums on seats. <laughs> we need more bums on seats. Um, and then when you do open house, you're the salesperson. So you're not that teacher. You have to market your school, your course, because you want to attract more students. So, yeah, I was never business minded. I still don't think I'm business minded, but I've learned that through work. And, you know, I, I agree with you 100% because meet the teacher night, you know, open house, anytime you're meeting parents, you're really, if you think about it, these parents on at the beginning of the year, they're trusting their child with you. I mean, they, mm -hmm. they know that you're there because, I mean, you're, you're a teacher, you're an educator, you are certified, you are qualified, and so on. But you really do have to sell yourself to the parents as well, because I believe that oftentimes the, the, the learning community or the term learning community often excludes parents. And the, it's, they, they say when you hear the word term learning community, oftentimes it's, you know, your teachers, your administrators, your students. But oftentimes the most important piece is left out, which is the parent. And I have always been a believer that if you include the parents in the very beginning in everything and all things that you do in the, in the classroom, that helps your classroom community, your atmosphere in your classroom run a little bit smoother uh, because the students know that you have open communication with the parents. The parents can uh, safely come to you and feel, you know, uh, that psychological safety of, you know, as a parent, I can go talk to my teacher and maybe have that crucial conversation of why is my child not doing very well? What can I do at home? You know, mm -hmm. and as a teacher, I mean, we wear many hats as an educator. And I think one of those hats is a little bit of that salesman hat where you have to, you know, really reach out to the parents, build that community. And then of course, within your classroom, you have to sell yourself to the students and one thing that I've learned right away is that if your student, your students are really good at reading you more than you think, and they're a lot brighter and smarter and more, you know, kind of they can pick up on things right away. And if you're not open and honest with them, if you're not straightforward with them right from the get go, and maybe you start off with this persona that maybe you're trying to be, um, they can read right through that. And, mm. you know, so the best thing to do is always just be open, honest, mutual respect for one another, and you start building that community. And it's amazing what, how much fun you can have in your classroom because, man, my years of teaching were so much fun. There isn't one year uh, that I never woke up and said, I don't want to go to work. I mean, mm -hmm. work is so much fun. And as opposed to my, my business job, you know, towards the tail end, it was like, oh, I don't want to wake up. But here in, in education, oh, my goodness, it's an adventure every single day. And, yeah. and for me, it's you're learning something new every day. And most importantly, sometimes it's like you're learning some of the cool stuff from your, your students. 
And uh, that is really cool as well. So, yeah, it, you really do have to sell yourself. <laughs> yes. Yes. And you're also selling the curriculum, too. Yes. You know? Because when the kids get fall in love with your subject area, they're going to they're going to spend a couple hours on YouTube videos watching the, whatever your content is. They're going to be so excited because mm -hmm. they, they want to teach themselves. Yeah. And, and, and you know, that that's something that is that you mentioned. I'm glad you said that, because I think uh, with the curriculum, there are there are teachers that see the curriculum and they kind of see it as uh, like per se uh, gospel per se. It's like, well, this is what's written and this is what I need to cover by this day, this day, this day, this day. And this is all that needs to be done. Uh, and but the curriculum serves as a guide. It, it, it's a guide. It's not it's not gospel. You know, it's not meant to be set in stone that you have to go through everything, everything and meticulously because there are ways as an educator that you can get creative where you can say, OK, if I'm on this unit. Oh, wow. Wait a minute. I can blend something from the following unit in here that's going to help me lead into that. And that is where teachers can use that creative juice that that and exercise their creative muscles they can be very creative in implementing several tools that can come together where maybe you're even doing two units concurrently, but the, the students don't know any better because the students are engaged. They're, they're like you said, they, they have that buy-in. They see how thrilled you are. And, and students do feed off of the teacher. Whatever energy you bring in, that you're pretty much setting the tone for that day. So if you as a teacher are really passionate about what you're going to be teaching and you have your lesson set up and granted, sometimes the tech won't work. Maybe it mm. won't go the way that you think, but don't let that discourage you. And that's one of the things that I always found. My three words that I mentioned in the show notes that people will see have always been improvise, adapt and overcome. How often do lessons not go the way you want them to? Yeah. All the time. All the time. More often than not. <laughs> yeah. But that's where our improvisational skills come in and say, okay, it didn't work this way. So you can either do one of two things. If you're quick on the fly, just say, okay, no worries. We'll take it around. We'll take it this way. Or the second thing is, which there's absolutely nothing wrong with and say, hey, you know what? It didn't quite work the way I wanted it to. So let's just, Take a pause here and maybe we can revisit this tomorrow. And there's nothing wrong with letting your students know and say, hey, you know what? This isn't the way I had it planned and it didn't work out. We'll revisit tomorrow. We'll come back to it. And then you can prep. Oftentimes it's like, oh, you don't yeah. want to let the students know that, oh, my gosh, I failed. And, <laughs> and the lesson didn't go the way it did. But you're, you're sharing a wonderful lesson with them that even as an adult, although you feel that many times you have things, you know, you've got it together, something may happen. Well, what are you going to do about it? You know, some, some people can improvise on the fly. Others that are more, you know, you know, I guess go into deeper thought and maybe like to plan things out. Just say, you know what, let's revisit. We'll come back and things will get better. And then you learn from what happened. But what I loved about this is that showing your vulnerability and sharing that with your students is also a very important lesson for them because they get to see that, you know, it things may not always go the way they want it to go and that it's okay to be vulnerable 
and it feels uncomfortable, but it's it's a good lesson in saying, hey, you know what? Well, let's see what we can do. And maybe oftentimes it was my students that would be, hey, Mr. M Mr. M, because they call me Mr. M. They're like, Mr. M, don't worry. Check this out. We can do it this way. And so then I'm learning from them. And it gets really exciting because now you're learning from one another and they get so excited and they buy into you. They buy into you being honest. They buy into you seeing like, hey, he's yes. or she is a normal teacher, they, but they, they're going with the flow and we're learning together. And it really builds a sense of community. And that's one thing that I absolutely loved about the classroom as well. Yeah, brilliant. Uh, I no, don't care. No, yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to jump over. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you said so much about relationship and also letting your the authenticity, uh, letting your students see the real you, and that things don't always work out the way you plan. Uh, it's so important for teachers. I think that's that's the thing that we're so passionate in college that we, you know, those of us who went through education, you know, we want, we want to be the best teacher and we want all our students to succeed and we want them all to be engaged. And we're taking these theory classes and we know how the brain works and we know how students learn. But after we graduate, it's, it's a lot more than that. And, um, you know, I've, I feel very sorry for my first year students. <laughs> uh, I, I, I believe, I hope, I pray that I got to, to be a better teacher as the years went by because, you know, you, you make so many mistakes. At least I did. I made a lot of mistakes and did the wrong thing that, uh, yeah, I, I'm kind of glad time helped. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I agree with you on that. Uh, you know, like going into Think about it. I mean, I didn't go into the College of Education. Then all they said is like, okay, you're certified to be a math teacher. I mean, you have enough college hours in math that you can do that. And then, of course, I had to do my teacher certification. And they just gave me the binder and they're like, go. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so it was just teaching algebra. And, you know, and like you said, uh, you know, Karen, it was, I was going in uh, teaching algebra the way that I was taught the algebra. And I think oftentimes, and, and yeah. being a math teacher for years, you know, is oftentimes as teachers, we revert back to our comfort zone. So it's like muscle yeah. memory. And so, for example, for through grade school, you if you learn, you know, using standard algorithm and you go through grade school, you go through junior high and high school, just doing standard algorithm, guess what? I mean, chances are is if you become a math teacher, and although you may go through, and, and I mean, and not just a math teacher, but I'm saying also, if you go through any college uh, or any track, I should say, a, anytime that you're going to be doing math, you're probably going to revert back to your comfort zone and you're going to go back to that standard algorithm. So it, it's kind of that fight or flight kind of deal. Like you come into the classroom and you're like, yeah, all right. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh my goodness, things aren't kind of going the way they, they should, or maybe the way they want me to do the math is a little different than what I learned in the College of Education or with what I know. But as a teacher, because you feel like, oh my goodness, the, the lesson has to go on, you're going to revert back to that muscle memory and you're going to go back to that standard algorithm. 
Now, one thing that I learned as a math teacher for many years is that I was teaching oftentimes with the standard algorithm and I was avoiding manipulatives. And the reason that I was avoiding manipulatives was because I didn't know how to use them. But now as the as the years progressed in my the later part of my years, I learned a little bit more how manipulatives became a little bit more effective and, and my students were doing a little bit better. Right. And so now one of the things that I, I told my my content specialist, the math content specialist there that I work with, I said, Mr. P, Mr. Palomin, if if I would have known what you're teaching now, the way that you're teaching the math and modeling with the concrete, the pictorial, the abstract, and using base 10 blocks, I would have been a better math teacher. And I even told them just kind of the, the same feeling that you just said right now. I was like, I feel like I did a disservice to my students because, I mean, not that there's anything wrong with the standard algorithm, but with the manipulatives, they would actually understand the math. They would have the number sense and know why two times two is four and not just see it as a math fact of something that they memorize, but they would actually visually see, they would be touch, they would be able to understand those concepts. And so sometimes now I'm like, man, I hope those kids are doing well and they're doing good because you feel those things. But yeah. I think that's all part of the the growing too as well. And, and in us also, it really helps us as educators that are passionate to even continue to grow that even though we've done things a certain way, hey, let's get out of our comfort zone and let's maybe learn it a different way and teach it a different way to see what the results are. And oftentimes it could be very refreshing to do mm -hmm. things differently because I think somebody, uh, there was a guest that said, you know, you've been teaching for 20 years or have you been teaching the same lesson for 20 years? <laughs> and I was like, ooh, wow, <laughs> like that. That's going to hurt, you know, so it's some of those things where continually it's important to seek that growth, that growth mindset, look at our practice. And there's nothing wrong with being a little critical of ourselves and say, hey, you know what? This didn't work out this way. What could I do different? There's nothing wrong with asking for help because that's part of the learning process. And although we may not want to seem very vulnerable or we may not want to feel you know, like we're inadequate. It We feel those things all the time with other things that are personal, but this is something that's professional that is you're, you're having that immediate contact with teachers, that immediate contact with students. And in the end, the students are going to benefit from your growth. They're going to benefit from you getting out of that comfort zone. And it, you could do that one thing, that they're going to remember forever and they're going to say, wow, you know, I learned this from this teacher. So I'm going to just add to that real quick and the importance of that. There was a substitute teacher that when I was in high school, he would always come in. He's He was a retired science teacher. His name was Mr. Rodriguez. Um, you know, he passed away several years ago. But as a substitute teacher, he would come into our science class and here's, here's what I loved about him. Number one, teacher would leave the lesson plans and he's like, nah, whatever, let's go ahead and I'm going to teach you <laughs> these things, you know, but, but he's a science teacher. So he knew, you know, what we needed to know, but he made it so engaging, so fun. I mean, we were always happy when we would see him and I'll never forget. And to this day, I have never forgotten one day on the, on the board, he wrote 
C. Hopkins Cafe. And we're like, what? He goes, that's your lesson for today. C. Hopkins Cafe. Remember that because that's all you will ever need for science. And it's going to tie into everything. And so what it was, it was an acronym like C. Hopkins Cafe. It's the seven uh, elements from the periodic table that we are all made up of or that we all need to live. Uh, So it was, of course, the C. Hopkins Cafe. You've got... You know, I, I forgot them now, but I mean, but I'll never forget C. Hopkins. So if I look at them, but it's like, um, for example, like carbon or cal- yeah, carbon, uh, helium, oxygen, phosphorus, uh, sodium, iodine, nitrogen. And I think the, uh, no, the S was sodium. I missed the the K. I missed one calcium. of those there. Oxygen. Calcium. Ca- yeah. Calcium. Potassium. So on. Potassium. There we go. But see, like that still stuck with me. And that was back when I was in ninth grade biology, ninth grade biology. (laughs) Well, you know what? That gentleman many years ago, I think it was maybe six or seven years ago, I ran into him and uh, pardon me if I get a little emotional on this because this story really means a lot. I ran into him. um, I think it was at a doctor's office that I was there waiting and I saw him and I see him get up and he's going to go to the the water fountain. So I go up to the water fountain and I said, Mr. Rodriguez. And he turned around and I said, hi. He go, I said, you probably don't remember me. He goes, no, no, like I don't remember. And he started talking and his kind of like eyes were tearing up because I guess he felt a little frustrated. Uh, He goes, I don't remember much anymore. And, you know, and and I told him, well, I just want to tell you something. I said, when I was in ninth grade biology, you would come in into our teacher's class and you taught us C. Hopkins Cafe. And I have never, ever, ever forgotten that from the moment that you shared that with me. His eyes teared up. His eyes teared up. And it was that special moment that I always told myself, you know, when I be, when I became a teacher, I said, I told myself, I'm not going to see the fruit of my labor till many years from now, because right now as a teacher, we're planting those seeds. And as a teacher, it, it's great when we get that immediate uh, response and that immediate feedback of saying, okay, we're doing something well. And that's great. The immediacy of that. But you have to think about that the seed that you're planting planting, is going to give fruit in the years to come. And hopefully one of these days, you know, when I'm already old and into my 60s and so on, maybe one of my former students will remember and say, hey, Mr. Mendoza, I remember you teaching me this in elementary. I remember you teaching me this in high school. I may or may not see it, but... I know that what I plant, what I sow, you know, it'll be rewarding. And I think that for me, that that is the, when I reframed instead of it's about money because it's not as educators. I mean, we, we don't make, I'm not making business money, but it's the investment that I'm making in people that pays off the most. And so, like I said, being a teacher is and an educator is something that is probably one of the best professions. And it's something that I fell in love with. And I think that it was something that I was meant to be, even though I never wanted to be, 
<laughs> but I am so glad that I decided to to follow that pivot. And 15 years later, here I am still in education and still educating myself. You know, I just completed my first year in my in the doctoral program. I've got mm. three more years to go. And awesome. I'm just so excited about my passion for education. <laughs> yes. Fantastic. So, um, so you mentioned how long you've been in education and you've mentioned transparencies. I think between the three of us, we can talk about transparencies. <laughs> so this is now you're going to tell us how creative you've been from the transparencies. Yeah. So creatively, um, you know, it, it was the classroom was like my canvas. And what I loved about it is just being that creative aspect, uh, the creative, the creativity that came from, like I mentioned, it's, I, I know, you know, curriculum comes and I'm like, ah, let, let's do it this way. And just creatively trying to mesh as many components as possible with students and making those uh, lessons engaging. And it's, it's an art form. It really is. So teachers, you are by far, or us as educators are by far some of the most creative people that comes, uh, you know, very naturally. And we may not see ourselves as creative because I, I just had a podcast with the amazing Shannon Moore and we talked about creativity because oftentimes that word has a connotation of, I have to know how to draw or I have mm. to know how to paint. Yeah. But educators are creative in the way that they're able to share a lesson many times with very few resources, depending on the district, and you make it work. Uh, you know, taking the little that you have and creating just a wonderful atmosphere, you have to do, you have to be very creative. And so creativity is something that I, I want teachers to continue to pursue that creative component of their classes because one of the things I was, I had a conversation also with, with another previous guest. We talked about how students as well need that creative process. And here in Texas, state testing starts at third grade. And when we were talking about this conversation, we kind of thought like, wow, you know, from about third grade on, students no longer have that creative freedom in a sense, because it's all about A, B, C, or D, and just mm -hmm. underlining the question, circling mm -hmm. information. So the only creativity they really get to do is learning acronyms and learning how to circle on tests to get the right answer. So those are the only doodles that they get. But I'm a big proponent of teachers, if they can go ahead and get out of their comfort zone and learn how to be creative. And even it doesn't necessarily have to be with something with education. It could be something on their own, like, you know, either drawing, creating, building, you know, finding a hobby where they have a creative outlet, but somehow uh, translating that into the classroom and then allowing the students to learn as well, because we're teaching to a standardized test, but our students aren't standard our students aren't standardized. They're multimodal yeah. learners and you're right. providing a unimodal test. There's no way. So, but we need that creative component because what happens is as they continue to grow and they just grow up with A, B, C, D, E, A, B, C, D, E, when they get into the real world and they get a real world problem, 
or situation, it's like, well, where's answer choice A? <laughs> you know, and and they they don't they 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 need really explicit instruction as to how to do things instead of okay, well, let me see if I've got this and I've got this, what can I do with these two things and and do the problem solving? Yeah. So those are a couple of things there that that I'm hoping to work through. And so I created this series uh, called One Creation a Day. And it was something that I was inspired by, you know, like Georgina Dean, um, you know, Shannon Moore, Claudio Zavala, um, Al Thomas. You know, I, I'm name dropping just a lot of people here that have been very, um, a very important part of my creative process. And so what I started, I, I set a mission for myself the year 2021. My one word was to create and just recently, I just did, I put up, I think it was day 35 now. I have done 35 days of one creation a day where I'll learn a new skill, something that I've never known how to do, but I'll, I'll look up a YouTube video. I'll learn how to do that particular skill. And then I put my own personal spin on it and learn it. And then I'll upload it. So it could be anything from Adobe, like Photoshop, Illustrator, all of that. I've also created uh, some apps uh, using some platforms. I've created music beats. Uh, I've created some AR, VR uh, tutorials. So what I want to do is I want to show educators and show everybody that creativity is not just about having a canvas and watercolors or having a sketch pad and paper. Creativity can be something digital, learning a new skill. Creativity can be creating an app. Creativity can be lesson design. Creativity can be creating a beat on the computer using free software. And with the hopes of inspiring them to exercise their creative muscles and that hopefully translating into the classroom as well. And then putting maybe some of these tools into the hands of students where they can now be content creators because this is the way that that future of work is. I mean, we live like in an economy. It's like a gig economy, you know, many times where it's like, let me see what I can find here and there. And if we're preparing our students with digital media skills, media platforms, as they continue to grow, they have a skill set that for us has taken years to to grow into. And for them, they'll get it at such an early age that as they move on, they learn the create create or how to be creative with these platforms, other platforms. And as I transition from year to year and new things come, they aren't scared of it. They're very familiar with the tech and they'll be ready to go. And so that's what I'm hoping to do. I mean, I'm going to see how long I can go through with this, but my goal is to at least do 100 straight days. And what I do tell people is I don't pre-record anything. I don't uh, have anything ready the day before to just upload. I mean, everything is that day. I, I set an hour a day to learn something new for myself as a skill, share it with the world in hopes of inspiring them. And then that helps me just to continually learn and just continually, you know, help the brain grow too as well stay active <laughs> no it's amazing I went through I well I was not stalking you I went through and <laughs> looked at some of the creativity you were doing it's great so yeah. do you prefer AR or VR or uh, I 
Well, I, I'm, a, I'm, I'm an avid fan of AR, VR. You know, anything mm. that deals with immersive technology, I am a huge fan of and proponent. And, you know, that is one of my passions to, to speak about and to share, you know, because it's something that I really feel can be very engaging, you know, to our students. And uh, the, oftentimes uh, just the gatekeepers would be administrators and teachers, but maybe more so administrators. But the, what happens is a lot of companies come in with these amazing platforms. And we were having this conversation. I said, the companies have the smarts for the tech, but they don't have yet that component of how to actually talk to school districts. Mm-hmm. They And so I've talked to a couple of companies and said, look, if you ever want to be successful in education, you can have a great product. But if you don't have somebody on your team that is either a former teacher, maybe a former administrator, somebody that can talk teacher, you're going to have, yeah, (laughs) teacher lingo, you're going to have a hard time implementing your tool into a district. If you don't have anything in a curriculum, you're not going to be able to get into a district. Yeah, I mean, if you mentioned the word TEKS and you're in Texas, they're going to stop and listen. They'll listen, but you have to make sure that you're following their teaks and you're aligned and everything. So there are many there are many great tools that are out there, but it's just a matter of really uh, formulating uh, the, the curriculum and saying, hey, this is what we offer. This is not just a gimmick because, you know, AR, VR, is, it's not a gimmick. It's a tool and it's here and we're using it a lot more than we really think we are, but we're not seeing the education aspect of it. And for me right now, I mean, this is the tech that can take your lessons. And we were talking about learning uh, with multiple modalities. I mean, you've got your auditory, you've got your kinesthetic, you've got your visual, you've got that, you know, everything because you're, you're either holding on to uh, something like this, you know, like a merge cube, You've got something here. And when we did our ARVR chat, I said, you know, when a student is holding something, you're making those connections to the eye, to the nerves, and you're creating an experience. It's that, and like we were talking, you know, how the brain works, you're creating an experience. And Kim Murphy, who is amazing, she's from Texas also as well, said one thing that I always quote now, it's like, you don't have to worry about the wow factor in AR. VR, that takes care of itself. (laughs) It already has the wow factor. What we need to do is we need to make that connection and create the experience. So a lot of times, like I said, many people see it as that's a gimmick. It costs too much money. Um, You know, the students don't understand. We're, We're so quick to just say and dismiss things. It's like, let's give it a shot. Let's try it out. If it works, great. If it doesn't, Okay, well, let's tweak it. Is it me that maybe did something wrong? Is it the experience? And you know, but slowly we need to start looking into those that those future technologies that are going to be coming. Uh, you know, whether we like it or not, they are already here. The future of work. I mean, you've got people that are using headsets to meet. There's no longer a need for offices. Classrooms are now implementing AR, VR at the universities where they have biology labs that the students can just you know put on goggles follow the simulation and the professor gets to see it in real time 
You're not spending any money on flasks. Nobody's blowing yeah. anything up. <laughs> Everything <injured>. is <laughs> and so it's 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 coming. It's coming a lot. It's here, but it's going to be coming into education a lot more, a lot quicker than we think. So we just need to get ready for that and and just start working with our teachers. And that's the whole part of that growth mindset of not being scared of new tech, not being scared of you know. Um, new practices, new things. It, it's okay to feel uncomfortable at first, but give it a shot. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I think your, uh, your, your hour of creativity every day has really affected the way you look at things, or maybe the way you look at things has really uh, affected the other, you know, how it goes both ways. Um, innovation always comes out, you know, kind of a, uh, trendy or or silly or toy or like i remember the first time i saw something on quiver vision it was a uh, fire truck that you know i held my chromebook over it and then the fire truck drove off and there was water spraying and my mind was blown and i and as a teacher i thought oh my gosh how can i use this you know like i we could we could do is there a way we could draw something and then have it animate like that and um it was just wonderful how when you first see an innovation, it, it does give you that wow factor. That's for sure. But creative teachers will look at that and say, you know, I can use that in my classroom. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and that's what it is. Uh, Karen, like you said, it's just really looking at things through a different lens. Uh, you know, like I said, sometimes, uh, you know, our, our vision as educators, because, you know, the, I think at myself in the very beginning, it was, this is the way things have to be done because, you know, coming in, not going through education, I was just doing what I learned and what teachers were modeling for me. So, right. okay, this is the way things need to be done. But then say, well, I, you know, it, it's not working. It can work for them because maybe it's for, for their classroom, but there's nothing wrong. Like I mentioned earlier, it's like I would take the good from this teacher, the good from this teacher and this teacher. Mm -hmm. And I always use that analogy of the mixing bowl. Just pop it in my mixing bowl and mix it and make it my own and how it's going to work for my classroom. So, you know, even with that, that's that's part of the creative process. And just being able to see things through a different lens also really helps as well, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, again, it's nothing against teachers at all whatsoever because it's always curriculum, curriculum. So it's your laser focused on making sure that you start this day in August or September. And by the time the state test comes, you have to have already been finished with this. So you're hyper-focused, you're laser focused on that. And so when something like this comes, it kind of like, no, I can't have anything disrupt my vision. I, I'm just <laughs> straightforward. But if you just take some time and just look around and see and say, hey, you know what? This fits in with this. This fits in with this. This fits in with this. And I'm targeting all of these things, maybe just with one app, one AR experience you create. I mean, that's a win right there, you know? And this, <clears throat> excuse me, and the students will remember that content. That's right. <laughs> Absolutely. I have a final question. Sure. <laughs> um, what hints and tips could you give to uh, Karen and myself about podcasting? 
Okay, hints and tips for podcasting. Um, actually, I mean, you're doing a fine job. <laughs> you're oh, you're doing great. I mean, you guys, and see, and, and here's the thing. It, and again, I'm going to go back to people that have helped me. All it was is just click record, period. You know, and just uh, and and this is what I love, like like this. Like I said, I I it's not often I get to be on this side, but it's just all about a conversation. Just mm. really getting to know people, giving them the time, giving them a platform, because you know there's so many creatives that are out there and educators that sometimes people don't give them the opportunity to share their passion. And so I think that as podcasters, depending on on what you're doing, you know, or the type of podcast, um, you know, like I do more of a show. It's not so much geared. It's it's centered around educators, but we we touch on education, but it's more knowing the person. So it just depending, you know, your niche. But even then, don't even worry about that. And here's one piece of advice too that I want to give you: don't worry about numbers. Don't worry about numbers, please. Don't worry because I've seen so many things happen to wonderful people that start podcasts that have this passion and are driven. And all of a sudden they see numbers and they're like, you know, maybe this isn't for me. Maybe I feel like I don't belong within this circle. Maybe I feel don't, don't do that. Mm -hmm. It kind of happened maybe for me, like about episode 25, 26, where it was like numbers and numbers and see who's watching. And then after that, I said, you know what? I mean, why do I care? It's like, I, I'm doing, this is my passion project. Mm. And what um, I'm doing is for me. And if it, it doesn't, uh, you know, appeal to anybody else, it's mm. okay. You know, but the, I'm doing this for me because it helps me, you know, have contact with people and, and how it helps me learn their stories and it helps me know what they're going through because I, I want to feel that, Oh, I want to make them relatable. I want to make us relatable to everybody else that just because you have a podcast doesn't mean that that we're unapproachable, you know? Mm -hmm. So just keep doing what you're doing, be yourselves and you'll be surprised how, you know, fulfilling that is because as long as you just continue with that passion, you know, it, it doesn't matter numbers. It doesn't matter anything. At least one day you'll say, I was able to do that and I did it my way. And, you know, whether somebody liked it or not, you know, you're good. And always keep in mind that one, one little thing that somebody may listen to can really have a huge impact. Like you're planting those seeds. Like right now, all of your shows, there have been seeds that have been shared with the world and the listeners. And those seeds someday will definitely bloom and you're going to be reaping some wonderful fruit from that because the educator, the educator community is going to continue to grow. Um, people are going to, you know, say, Hey, can I be on your show? I want to share my story. And, <laughs> and it's amazing, you know, so just keep, keep clicking record and don't look at numbers and just continue forward with your passion. Awesome. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, <laughs> so, such wise words. But yeah. on that note, uh, Fons, thank you so much for being on our show. Uh, thank you for sharing your story, the inspiration that drove you to become a teacher, meeting your teachers from 
previous uh, school years, ninth grade. And I'm sure you're going to meet your students as well. And in a few years, they'll be like, Mr. M, do you remember <laughs> that lesson? <laughs> yes, yes. I'm excited about that. Like I said, that, that means so much to me too as well. And of course, you know, always moving forward and growing. So uh, just uh, again, just if I can leave our, our viewers with just three parting words, improvise, adapt, and overcome. Yeah, definitely That's powerful word. words. That's beautiful. But yeah, thank you to all our listeners as well. And don't forget to um, log in and connect with us on at chatwsk1 on uh, Apple and Anchor. All right. Thank you, everyone. We really appreciate you. Thank you, Fonz. Thank you. Oh, it's a pleasure. <laughs> Thank you. Bye-bye.